This is the Data Privacy Detective. Today, we're going to Japan. It's April 1, April Fool's Day, some people would say, but no fooling. Japan has changed its comprehensive privacy law, the Act on the Protection of Personal Information. We'll call it the APPI today. And with me is Yugo Nagashima. Now, Yugo, you're a licensed attorney, uh, both in Japan and in two parts of the United States. So thank you for taking us on a tour of the new Japan Comprehensive Privacy Law. Thank you for being with us, Yugo. Great to be here. Well, there's a lot to talk about, but let's let's kind of aim this around what non-Japanese businesses should know about what changes April 1. 2022 in the data privacy area. And we're going to talk about four areas today. Uh, This new idea for many people of person-related information, that's one of them. And then does it extend uh, this new law extraterritorially? We're going to talk a bit about data breach. And then what exemptions uh, exist under pseudonymized or pseudonymous information? So four, four topics. And let's start with this idea. Now, I'm not aware of another data privacy uh, law around the world, really, that talks and makes a distinction between personal information and personal related information. So what's this about, Hugo? So personal related information, uh, you're right. Um, It really is in other jurisdictions. I think it's covered on the personal information, but Japan has made this category And what it is, is it's information like purchase history, location data, and web browsing history, uh, which uh, I guess, you know, which is kind of like circumstantial evidence, you know, circumstantial to connect to a person rather than someone's like name or someone's driver's license ID or a passport number. So obviously uh, sensitive information. I mean, what your purchase history is or what websites you're visiting, highly uh, personal information, but it's now called personal related information. And what's going on here? The law, I assume, is talking about how businesses can both collect it and then have it processed by somebody else. And and so what what is the law now uh, going to be about personal, uh, person related information? So person related information, which didn't exists before as a category now requires uh, businesses that handles per, uh, person-related information to uh, obtain consent from individuals, especially if that business is going to transfer the information to a third party, like a processor, for example. And in Japan, the the, the business, first of all, this this deals with businesses, not uh, an individual person who might have his or her account attacked, but hacked, but uh, businesses. And so let's say a business is collecting information. You mentioned purchase history. So as an example, we take a grocery store in Japan or a grocery store chain, and they collect history of what you're buying, uh, and that helps maybe give you coupons and tell you we've got a sale on your favorite product and that sort of thing. But then if they want somebody to process that, whether it's in Japan or otherwise, well, what do they have to do? They have to get they have to get the customer to say, well, I consent to let you have it processed by somebody else. Is that what we're talking about here? That's right. They would have to have consent if they don't have already. Um, and this is something that 
the law didn't require before that now is required. So companies that basically had a, let's say, you know, one of those grocery store cards that we have like in the US, right? Um, right. That you scan in front of the your, the register, cash register. If there wasn't a consent form, now the companies who didn't obtain consent before will have to obtain consent. Right, and then this, this leads right into extraterritorial reach because some of the companies that will help uh, anybody globally, almost anybody globally to process uh, data are, are not in any one country. Uh, the United States has many great uh, companies that do such uh, outsourced work, uh, India, many other countries do. And so how what's the extraterritorial reach, not only of, of this new uh, uh, category of personal related information, but of personal information? So with personal information, um, uh, data, uh, data handlers, right? So uh, businesses that handle personal information, if there are, they're going to transfer the information abroad. So let's say, let's take the grocery store example. If the grocery store in Japan uh, collects purchase history or the name of the person, and they process that information to do analytics, uh, let's say in the US, they would have certain obligations to disclose to uh, the customer that they're collecting the information from in Japan. What beyond just saying that uh, what they'd have to say to a Japanese company that we're going to have this process by uh, company X, whatever it may be. When when you're not in Japan, what else do you have to uh, get consent about if you're the grocery store? What do you have to tell people? So you would have to tell them that um, the location, the receiving country. So let's say it's processed in the U.S. You would say you would have to tell them that, hey, this information is going, going to be processed in the United States. And with that, they would have to describe, well, in the United States, uh, you know, where in the United States is going to be another issue because it's states. So let's say it's going to be processed in California. And then uh, they would uh, the company would have to explain uh, what the data protection framework, the system is in California, and then what the receiving party is going to do in order to protect that information under a standard of like the OECD principles. But for example, if if the uh, grocery store says, by the way, we're sending it to some country uh, uh, that gets named, and, and by the way, it has absolutely no protections, no laws whatsoever, uh, as long as the customer says, well, that's okay with me, I don't really care, uh, the law might permit it. But but this, this is really saying that this is very different from the adequacy approach that we see out of the European Union, where you really can't transfer something without, uh, you, you know, an approach to this, either contractual uh, clauses that are binding or, or conformance of the country to what the European Union considers adequate. So you're saying Japan's quite different. You have to be specific with the customer about each country or state, if it's the United States or maybe provinces in Canada. Uh, and then the, the customer has to consent before you could have uh, that person's information processed in the other country. Is that uh, the bottom line? I think that's the bottom line. Uh, and Japan, of course, uh, they're not following the adequacy approach, as, as you mentioned, but they are trying to, trying to explore that in the way that the Personal Information Protection Commission, which is Japan's DPA, they have created a description of the data protection framework of some of the countries. And 
I would think that those there's 31 countries and um, you know India, Canada, Singapore, South Korea, China's China's included in the United States, New York, California, Illinois is included. Uh, those countries are likely not going to be an issue because the the commission says, hey, please use this description. With countries like you said, let's just pick a country that's not on the list. Um, it might cause an issue with the commission because they might take issue with how it's described or how it's not adequate. Uh, so it's not so much of adequate, but how the description of that country's data protection framework may be an issue. But if it's we'll being fairly, fairly, fairly described. So if there's a state other than currently Illinois, California, New York, uh, and if it has particular laws or the absence of laws, uh, you would have to describe that properly or you might not get it right. And then you might be in trouble with the authority. That's uh, what I'm hearing. That's right. Yeah, very interesting. Very different approach from the EU. Uh, well, what about data breach? Uh, what, what does the new law say about data breach notification? So data breach notification, what's unique about it is um, the, there's there's four essential um, reasons for reporting a data breach to the commission, and I, three are usual, which is if sensitive personal information is uh, breached, uh, if the breach causes um, economic loss to a person, uh, if personal data is basically used for improper purpose, that triggers a breach notification. But what's uh, what's especially unique here is if more than a thousand individuals' personal data is breached, the company must, uh, the business must report to the commission. And the threshold is very, very low compared to some of the other countries' thresholds. It's very low, but no, no uh, safe harbor below it, a thousand. Well, maybe maybe that makes a safe harbor below a thousand. In other words, if uh, yeah, five hundred people stay to breach, no, no report required. Uh, that's how I understand it. Yes, it's it's the threshold is a thousand. A thousand is very low for most uh, outsourcing companies that are processing data of uh, you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Very, very interesting. And the, uh, the, the the breach notice goes to the uh, authorities? That's right. And uh, there's uh, they take a two-step approach, which is uh, there must be an immediate uh, breach notification to the uh, commission, uh, which basically the business must report whatever it knows at that point that they found out about the breach immediately. Uh, then they are given a 30-day um, the discovery time to basically investigate and then, then to provide certain categories of uh, uh, the summary of the incident, the category of breached information, the reason for the breach and the potential damages that may occur to a person. And that information is then sent to the commission and also eventually to the individual. So Japan has, has done something different from what you find in some countries where you have an immediate notice that there's been a breach. You may not know the depth of it. You may not know all the details. And then you follow up uh, within 30 days of having discovered the breach. It's kind of a two-step notification uh, rather than what we've seen in some countries where you, you give notice when you really have pretty good sense of uh, who's been affected. So uh, there, we on, uh, there we are on data breach. And the last thing I'd like to talk to you about, Hugo, there's much more in the law, but these are the four high points. Um, pseudonymous information. Now, many people think that when a company uh, that's handling data pseudonymizes information, 
Uh, for example, let's take medical tests. And instead of saying John Smith, uh, they say uh, patient number one. That's pseudonymous, right? Mm -hmm. But many people think that there's a danger there, especially in a world of hacking, that people can figure out who patient one really is. And then so data, pseudonymous data in some uh, countries and under some rules uh, still is viewed as, as much more risky from totally anonymized uh, uh, information, but but uh, how does Japan approach it? And what does the new law say about pseudonymous information? Well, Japan takes the approach that if uh, certain information is pseudonymized, then uh, certain rights of the data subjects are not triggered or they don't have to disclose it. And if the information that's been breached is pseudonymized, uh, the mandatory data breach notification and maybe exempted. Um, and again, I, I think Japan is unique in that uh, I think their pseudonymization, it, it requires a specific uh, measure taken, pro- processes taken place. And I'll just run through it, which is, you know, deleting all or part of the description that identifies an individual. So, you know, let's say you change John Smith's name to patient one, but if there's something else that can identify the individual, that wouldn't be considered pseudonymized. You know, deleting you include all person- John's uh, address, for example, while you right. figure out who John is, but so everything that might help you identify it. Right. And what other things would, would, would create pseudonymous information? Uh, deleting all personal identification numbers, that's another one. So let's say, you know, there's a patient number on it. You'll have to delete that too. Uh, and oh, then no. that kind of thing. Okay. And then deleting description, which may lead to economic loss if misappropriated, which which is unique. Um, it's hard to imagine just with the information how economic loss could be ha- happening, but I think they're thinking of credit card numbers potentially or uh, the security code of the credit card. So those will have to be pseudonymized. Uh, this said, you're right. Um, the information that's pseudonymized could be re-identified and it still has some risks there, but Japan is uh, taking the position that you know certain data subject rights will be exempted uh, from, uh, from the business informing the data subjects. And I think the key is the mandatory data breach. Uh, if it's pseudonymized, that is good enough to say it's it's pretty much safe, and you don't have Maybe to. You don't have to notify the authorities and exactly, or perhaps the individuals involved either, because in theory their data is pseudonymized. No one knows who they are, and it's protected. So it's really kind of creates a great incentive to not not just non-Japanese business, but other businesses, but other businesses to receive data in a pseudonymous way uh, if they're going to help process the information. That's right. Well, very good. That's a good tour of these four points. I hope that helps uh, businesses outside of Japan as well as inside understand some of the changes afoot in Japan and, and show us how Japan's taking a little different approach on adequacy and on some other points and this definition of person-related information. And we'll see what other countries uh, do as they continue their journey in data protection world. But Yugo, thank you for taking us on a tour and uh, much, much appreciated. Any closing words of advice to non-Japanese businesses and conforming to this new law? 
the Japanese law is uh, very complicated. Uh, it's not just the law itself, but there's other regulations and other guidances. So um, when complying, I would definitely recommend uh, seeking advice for an ex from an expert who understands the um, the intricacies and the connections of all of these guidances and the laws and the rules. Right, and that's, that's certainly true. And uh, Japan, like the United States, uh, uh, has has a series of ministries or in the United States uh, departments that have their own rules about particular kinds of data, and that now is part of this fabric, which still has still has an overarching uh, law, unlike the United States. <laughs> So a lot to deal with, and uh, always good advice is the answer to protecting one's business. Well, as always, I'll close by reminding us, protecting your personal data begins with you. <laughs>